Welcome to the Advance Auto Parts fourth quarter and full year 2023 conference call. Before we begin, Elizabeth Eisleben, Senior Vice President, Communications and Investor Relations, will make a brief statement concerning forward-looking statements that will be discussed on this call. Good morning, and thank you for joining us to discuss our Q4 and full year 2023 results. I'm joined today by Shane O'Kelly, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Ryan Grimblin, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following Shane and Ryan's prepared remarks, we will turn our attention to answering your questions. Before we begin, please be advised that remarks today will contain forward-looking statements. All statements other than statements of historical fact are forward-looking statements, including, but not limited to, statements regarding our ongoing strategic and operational review, initiatives, plans, projections, and future performance. Actual results could differ materially from those projected or implied by the forward-looking statements. Additional information about forward-looking statements and factors that could cause actual results to differ can be found under the captions, forward-looking statements in our earnings release, and risk factors in our most recent Form 10-K and subsequent filings made with the Commission. Now let me turn the call over to Shane O'Kelly. Thanks, Elizabeth, and good morning. Before we dive into the details of the quarter, I want to take a moment to thank the entire advanced team for their dedication and continued focus on serving our customers throughout 2023. I continued to travel coast to coast during the past few months, meeting customers, meeting team members from our stores, and team members from our distribution centers. I remain impressed with our team's strong work ethic and their unwavering commitment to helping our customers. I want to introduce today our new Chief Financial Officer, Ryan Grimsland. We're pleased to have Ryan on the advanced team, and he brings vast experience in the omni-channel retail space, serving both DIY and professional customers. His deep knowledge in finance, strategy, and transformation will undoubtedly help lead our company forward. Now, on to the decisive actions we have been taking to turn around the business. We have continued to act with a sense of urgency to stabilize the business and position the company to return to profitable growth. All of the actions we are taking are geared to help us focus on the fundamentals of selling auto parts, and we will eliminate activities that distract us from that goal. Let me be clear. Our results today are disappointing, and not at all what I'm accustomed to delivering. We have spent the last several months analyzing how Advance got here, and we now have a better understanding of the work required to change our trajectory. It's important to note that in recent periods, including this one, there have been several atypical items contributing to our poor financial performance. Through disciplined execution and accountability, we will tighten the fundamentals of our business, which will help reduce and then eliminate elements that introduce noise to our core performance. On our last quarter's call, we discussed decisive actions. Let's take you through those actions, as well as update you on new activities the company is taking today. Number one, initiating the sales processes for WorldPAC and our Canadian business. Number two, significantly reducing our costs to remain competitive while investing a portion of those savings back into the front line. 
Number three, making organizational changes to position us for success. And now introducing two additional decisive actions. Number four, assessing the productivity of all assets, including CarQuest independence. And number five, the consolidation of our supply chain. Let's take a moment and further discuss each of these decisive actions. First, we initiated separate sales processes for WorldPAC and Canada. We are very pleased with the interest we have received in both businesses. The WorldPAC process is underway and we are actively engaging with potential buyers. We currently expect to conclude the WorldPAC process during our second quarter and look forward to sharing more information when that occurs. As it relates to the Canadian process, this is intentionally sequenced behind WorldPAC and we have begun the internal work to explore separating the business. Next, as I discussed in our Q3 call, the company's costs have outpaced our sales growth during the past several years, which warranted changes in how we operate. In Q4, we implemented significant cost reductions by eliminating roles and initiatives that did not support our commitment to improve the fundamentals of the business, and we will realize at least $150 million of SG&A savings in 2024. We're focused on our frontline team members and are reinvesting approximately 50 million of those SG&A dollars to increase wages, bonus programs, and as well enhancing our training. This represents approximately half of the dollars planned for 2024 for our frontline with additional funding coming from sunsetting previous programs. While we continue rolling out these investments over the next several months, we note that we are already seeing year-over-year -year improvement in turnover reduction of key frontline roles. In addition to the Q4 cost reductions, we are now launching an additional initiative focused on our indirect spend with the goal of eliminating a minimum of $50 million on an annualized basis. We will continue to be prudent with our expense structure and are committed to building a cost-conscious culture. Going forward, in every operational decision we make, if it isn't core to the business to help our frontline team members and service our customers, it's off the table. In terms of the third decisive action, I mentioned on our last call that we had streamlined our management structure and reorganized parts of my leadership team to drive collaboration and accountability. These changes further simplify our structure and they upgrade talent in key positions to allow us to drive improvements in critical business areas. In addition to Ryan joining us as the CFO, another example of outstanding talent that we've recently hired is Elizabeth Dreyer, who joined the advanced team as our chief accounting officer and controller. Elizabeth brings a robust track record of building and leading high-performing accounting teams, and I'm confident she and Ryan will work together to create a high-performing finance function. We also recently hired a new chief data officer, Kunal Das, to significantly improve the quality, processing, and utilization of our data. In addition, we've also hired a new procurement leader who will help deliver against the indirect cost savings that I just mentioned. We've also made a number of changes within our organizational structure to better align certain departments with our strategic goals. 
For example, pricing is now part of merchandising. In addition, we have consolidated our real estate function from across multiple parts of the company to form a single enterprise-wide real estate team reporting directly to me. Further, our merchandising and inventory teams now directly report to me. They have been working diligently on the implementation of our new core merchandising and inventory system. We expect to complete the remainder of the vendor and SKU transitions to the new system this year. That effort involves transforming our current ordering and fulfillment processes, enabling us to move away from antiquated systems to more data-driven capabilities. The fourth decisive action, which we are introducing today, is improving the productivity of all assets in the company, including company stores and independently owned CarQuest locations. While we opened 61 stores in 2023, we do not plan to open as many this year as we focus on improving our existing store operations and driving profitable growth. In an effort to optimize our CarQuest independent business, we recently terminated our agreements with over 100 independently owned CarQuest stores, which will help improve the overall profitability of our CarQuest independent program. In addition, to improve store productivity, our IT department has made notable improvements in the reliability of our store's POS systems. The improvement in our network and store system resiliency is allowing our frontline to better serve our customers. Lastly, we are announcing our fifth decisive action, which is the consolidation of our supply chain to a single unified network. We know that our current network is inefficient and needs substantial work to improve our cost structure and inventory availability. We have long served our blended box stores via two distinct DC networks, one from the legacy CarQuest business and one from Advance. The first step is completing the implementation of our Warehouse Management System, or WMS, across all of our large DCs. With only three DCs remaining, we will complete this by the end of the year. Step two, which we are conducting in parallel with step one, is the conversion of smaller legacy DCs from functioning as a replenishment node to operating as a market hub. With 38 DCs in our advanced and CarQuest network today, we view the smaller DCs as valuable assets that can be leveraged more efficiently as market hubs where we will forward deploy the right inventory closer to the customer. We have recently started our first DC conversion to become a market hub, and we will utilize our learnings to scale this key initiative across the network. By leveraging our current DCs, we can move faster and more cost-effectively than if we greenfielded a new network. Importantly, once we complete this work, we will be able to order product into fewer DCs, which will help reduce costs and improve in inventory productivity. We look forward to sharing more on all of these actions as we continue to improve our blended box strategy. Before I turn it over to Ryan, the last topic I want to touch on is the macro environment. The key drivers of this industry remain strong. These include the average age of vehicles, which continues to increase and is now at 12 and a half years, as well as miles driven, both of which are projected to further increase this year. 
Combined with the strengthening do-it-for-me demand, I'm confident that Advance can begin to capitalize on the strong fundamentals of the industry. Now I'd like to welcome and turn the call over to Ryan Grimsland, our CFO, who will review our financial performance in 2023 and discuss the 2024 guidance we provided in the release this morning. Ryan? Thanks, Shane, and good morning. I'm pleased to be here for my first earnings call as CFO of Advance. Before I move to the financials, I would also like to thank our team members for their continued dedication, as well as the warm welcome I received from the team. Since my arrival at Advance, there are several swift changes we have made to allow for the necessary transformation of our finance function. As Shane discussed, we recently appointed Elizabeth Dreyer as our new Senior Vice President, Chief Accounting Officer, and Controller. Elizabeth's impressive track record in a variety of financial leadership roles will benefit us as we work to remediate our previously disclosed material weakness related to internal control, which I'll speak to in more detail in just a moment. In my first 90 days with Advance, I've had the privilege to meet and connect with our hardworking and talented finance and accounting teams. I'm committed to providing cohesive leadership, as well as ensuring we have the needed incremental resources that will enable us to be a best-in-class retail organization. As you heard from Shane, we are focused on improving the fundamentals across the business to bring rigor, discipline, and accountability with a sense of urgency. We have begun to make changes and are committed to elevating ourselves to become a high-performing team. The first step has been filling critical roles, including hiring key leaders, as well as a thorough and time-intensive review of our reconciliations and processes across the company. Within this review, we've recently discovered additional work needed to fully realize the intended benefits of our finance ERP system, including potentially sunsetting certain legacy systems. The turnover of accounting personnel over the past 12 months has increased the challenge to operate as an effective finance organization. We have taken aggressive action to bring in resources around our internal controls, both hiring accounting professionals and insourcing contractors at varying levels to provide leadership and oversight. With these actions, we are making significant progress on remediating our material weakness related to people identified in early 2023. In addition, as disclosed in our release, we identified issues with certain previously reported financial results. We are correcting prior period financial results in our earnings release and upcoming Form 10K. As you saw this morning, we filed for an extension. We do not expect the results we are discussing today to be impacted. However, we need additional time, principally to finalize our assessment of internal control over financial reporting and the related disclosures. Our financial results discussed today will compare our Q4 and full year 2023 results to the corrected results for the prior periods. Now on to our results. In the fourth quarter, our net sales of $2.5 billion decreased 0.4% compared with Q4 2022, and comparable store sales decreased 1.4%. This was primarily driven by softness in DIY throughout the quarter, but particularly in the last four weeks of the year as we lapped tougher comparisons to the prior year. However, we continue to be encouraged by our performance in pro as we realized strong transactional growth in the quarter as a result of improved availability. The West and Northeast were our top performing regions, while the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest were our most challenged in the corner if they were impacted by unfavorable weather. From a category perspective, 
As we improve our availability, we saw strength in filters, heating and cooling, and engine management. In Q4, gross profit margin of 38.6% declined 504 basis points from the prior year quarter. There are business performance issues along with several atypical drivers that contributed to the deleverage. Inventory-related items contributed approximately 280 basis points, of which roughly 170 basis points are related to changes in estimates, and 110 basis points from inventory-related capitalization costs. In 2022, we hired an external firm to identify and recover previously earned vendor incentives over a multi-year period. This resulted in approximately 120 basis points of deleverage. Lastly, elevated supply chain costs contributed approximately 50 basis points. SG&A was $999 million in Q4 2023, compared with $960 million in Q4 2022. As a percentage of net sales, our SG&A expenses deleveraged 176 basis points to 40.6%. The deleverage was driven by a year-over-year increase in occupancy costs. Labor-related expenses from our intentional investments in our frontline team members and new store expenses. These were partially offset by previously discussed productivity actions taken in Q4. Importantly, we also incurred approximately $8 million in expenses related to our restructuring, as well as $5 million related to the strengthening of our accounting resources. These results are not indicative of how we want to run the organization. As Shane mentioned, we are reducing expenses by building a cost-conscious mindset throughout advance. Our Q4 operating income margin deleveraged 679 basis points compared with the prior year quarter. Diluted loss per share was $0.59 cents in Q4 compared with $1.39 earnings in the prior year quarter. This was primarily driven by lower net income as well as higher interest expense. For full year 2023, net sales of approximately $11.3 billion increased 1.2% compared with prior year. Full year comparable store sales decreased 0.3%. Our gross profit decreased 8.3% year-over-year, and gross profit margin contracted 414 basis points to 40.1%. Inventory-related items contributed approximately 157 basis points. Cost increases were not fully covered by price, contributed approximately 74 basis points to the full-year decrease. As mentioned earlier, the initiative to recover previously earned vendor incentives negatively impacted full-year gross margins by 60 basis points. Lastly, elevated supply chain costs contributed approximately 50 basis points. SG&A expense for full-year 2023 increased 3.5% compared with 2022. On a rate basis, SG&A as a percentage of net sales increased 85 basis points to 39.1%. This was primarily driven by expenses growing faster than sales throughout the year as well as an incremental one-time SG&A expenses related to headcount reductions and personnel changes. Our full year 2023 operating income decreased 82.9% to $114 million. On a rate basis, our OI margin contracted 500 basis points to 1%. Full year earnings per share were 50 cents compared with $7.65 at the end of 2022. Our 2023 capital expenditures were $242 million, 
compared with $424 million in 2022. The primary drivers of the reduced capital expenditures are related to fewer new store openings and IT-related expenses. We expect that our overall capital expenditures in 2024 will focus primarily on IT enhancements and supply chain optimization. We are committed to a disciplined capital allocation strategy on high return initiatives that hold our teams accountable to time, budget, and financial targets. Free cash flow for the full year was $44 million. This year-over-year reduction was due to lower net income results despite lower capital spend. Since Shane and I have joined Advance, as you would expect, we have taken a deep dive into the business. While we have moved quickly to simplify the business and taken other actions to help put the company on a trajectory for improved performance, we clearly have more work to do. We are focusing on the optimization of our supply chain assets, implementing additional cost-cutting measures, particularly with indirect spend, and improving store productivity. We believe our efforts will begin to deliver incremental improvements this year, which is factored into our 2024 guidance while setting the stage for growth in the years to come. Our assumptions for 2024 include continued pressure on the DIY consumer, offset by DIFM improvement and modest inflation. These factors, coupled with the solid industry fundamentals Shane discussed earlier, are considered in our full year 2024 guidance, which includes net sales of $11.3 to $11.4 billion, comparable store sales of 0 to 1%, operating income margin of 3.2 to 3.5%, diluted earnings per share of $3.75 to $4.25, capital expenditures of 200 to $250 million, and a minimum of $250 million in free cash flow. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Shane. Thanks, Ryan. There's no doubt that we've got our work cut out for us in 2024, but I am confident that with our decisive actions and a focused team, coupled with favorable industry fundamentals, we can return to profitable growth. Advance has a proud 90-year legacy, a re-energized frontline team, and a leadership team committed to delivering a powerful comeback. I'd now like to open the call up to address your questions. Operator? Thank you. If you would like to ask a question today, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad now to enter the queue. Participants are asked to limit themselves to one question and one follow-up per person, and please ensure you are unmuted locally. Our first question today comes from Chris Horvath at J.P. Morgan. Chris, your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, and and welcome to everybody on the on the management team. Um, my my first question is going to start at a, a low level, and then I'm going to try to bring it bring it up to a higher level from a margin perspective. If you think about the fiscal year items, could you help us understand and in 4Q, like the change in the estimate, the vendor incentive pressures? You know what exactly is going on there? Are you essentially writing inventory off that? doesn't exist, or are you writing inventory down to a lower market level, you know, such that perhaps when you sell it later, you're, you're, there's going to be some gross margin recapture? And on the vendor incentive side, um, totally unclear on what that is. You had accrued for vendor incentives, and now you're writing them off, and what led to that? Yeah, Chris, this is Ryan, uh, and, and thanks for joining us today. 
Yeah, a couple, couple things. Those are two really the big drivers of our inventory changes. Some of it is you know, inventory that we're shrinking out of the system. Some of it is changes in our excess and possibly uh, calculations. And then some of it is on the vendor incentives. And so accrued vendor incentives. Some businesses we maybe no longer do business with, uh, challenges in, in recovering. We're just making sure we've got the right amount in there that we believe we're going to be able to recover. Hey, hey Chris, it's Shane. Uh, not unsurprisingly, uh, new CFO, new CAO, digging in in the business and and looking at at our different you know methods of estimating what we keep and and what's dead and what's not, and they're digging in to set us up for success. And and uh, that's exactly what's occurring here. And Chris, I'll add one more thing on that. We mentioned you know last year there was a, a prior initiative to go back and look at. Uh, vendor income over a multi-year period, incentives, et cetera, that, that we have up on the table. That had a positive impact last year that we're cycling over this year. Okay, so then maybe to, to clean it up, um, as you think about on a fiscal year basis, like what are just clean laps, i.e. you're going to get X basis points back you know, in the gross margin line because it was a, you know, there's a, a an impact this year that it's not going to uh, affect next year and you'll get it back, you know, both in terms of the, you know, gross margin and SG&A lines. Yeah, Chris. Uh, so I would expect roughly 157 basis points of those kind of atypical items that I don't anticipate us cycling uh, again next year. So, from a, that's a cost perspective there, uh, margin rate. Uh, from an SG&A perspective, about $12 million, Really, that's related to severance and some of the expenses related to uh, remediating that material weakness on the SG&A side. Got it. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Michael Lasser from UBS. Michael, your line is open. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my question. Given all the moving parts with your uh, margin structure right now, what do you think an ongoing, sustainable operating margin for the business is in 2025 and beyond? Is the 24 level something that you're working to grow off of? Hey, Michael, it's Shane, and and Ryan will add to this. So first, you, you heard some color from Ryan if we sat at a 1OI in terms of what we published, you can kind of put together some of the things that might not be uh, might not be occurring this year to get to a bit of a baseline. We put out our guide, which we feel good about, and then later this year, um, look for us to give multi a multi year perspective on where the business can go. As we sit in the trenches today, we're looking to be incrementally better every day. Uh, and that's the first step. And, and as we get that credibility, notably around this 2024-year guidance, we'll look to continue that journey to uh, to further points. But, Ryan? Yeah, Michael, a uh, good question. So that 157 basis points is what I would think from, you know, atypical items that we don't expect or anticipate to last again this year. So that's one data point. In our guide, we do have modest margin rate expansion as we continue to execute on these decisive actions that we talked about uh, earlier in the call. So we've got some modest increase there, as you can see in our OI margin. Uh, that's primarily, that OI margin expansion is primarily coming from gross profit. 
Okay. And, and then, obviously, we're going to get more information on the sale process in the second quarter. So, so um, two related questions to that. Can you give us a peek on how that's going to be impacting the financial performance of the business over the long term so we can get an assessment of what we should be modeling in terms of the ongoing sustainable margin rate for the core business you'll be holding on to? That's number one. And two, how are you thinking about balancing maximizing the value of these assets with the need for resources to improve the business, given that you know, free cash flow is under pressure, the rating agencies have downgraded uh, uh, your, your credit rating, and uh, you have a lot of uh, uh, receivables that are, that are factored. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd like lots to unpack there. So let's start with your second question. Um, Worldpack's a good business with good team members. Uh, this isn't a fire sale. There's no sort of urgency that we have to sell the business. It's really around strategy and where we're taking the company. We believe that the blended box model is our route to success, selling a pro and DIY customer from our from our core stores. And so that strategic review led to the to the idea of selling Worldpack, which I think is the, is the right move for the organization. So there's not a, a um, you know, if, as it relates to value maximization, we don't have to sell, and that's why we say it's a potential sale process. Uh, the good news is the the interest thus far has been significant. We're seeing a lot of players, uh, both you know breadth and depth depth of players who are expressing interest. Centerview is running the process for us, um, and and it's going at at the tempo that I've seen. I've done uh, 40 deals of of one sort or another, uh, and so as we get to to price discovery and working with the the potential buyers, we'll look to complete that process in the in the second quarter. Uh, importantly, though, we do have and have started to think about what we would do with the proceeds, and I can kind of think about them. Uh, in a couple of buckets. I think I think debt pay down figures into uh, what we would disposition with the funds. Uh, and then secondly, there are some key initiatives you've heard are decisive actions that we could potentially accelerate with additional proceeds. Uh, so our supply chain consolidation, I think that could be amplified with, with some of the World Pack proceeds. Uh, you could think about our IT initiatives. You heard about our, we've got our new inventory system coming online, our PLS POS system work, that can be accelerated. And then lastly, just on our store infrastructure, either in terms of sprucing up existing stores or with our new real estate team, looking at what we can do in terms of our, our new store openings. Uh, on your first question, you know, not ready to, to give a definitive depiction of what uh, we look like as a remainder co without Worldpack. Again, we're tightly in a potential sale process at this point, but as we get closer and we get more information, we'll certainly provide that. But we feel good that in the wake of that sale process, if it goes through, we have a company that's focused on selling auto parts out of a blended box, and that's what we're going to do. Thank you very much, and good luck. Thanks, Michael. The next question comes from Simeon Govan from Morgan Stanley. Simeon, your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hi, Shane. Hi, Ryan. Um, hey, Ryan, I wanted to look at the um, the guidance in a little different way. 
if we annualize the fourth quarter EBIT, you get to about 160 million, and then when we add back the cost saves, which I get some of them may not fully annualize, you get back about three, you're roughly a 360 million dollar run rate. That's a tad below the guidance. So a couple of questions is partly like how much reinvestment is there in some of the savings, and then you know what improves in the core business to get you the higher threshold. And some of this may be some of the things that don't repeat. I think to Chris's question earlier. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of reinvestment if you just take the, the sort of that math. Yes, I mean, so uh, one of the things we did do is we invested in the front line. So we took some of the cost savings and we reinvested that back into the front line. So that was about, of that 150, we invested about 50 million back in. Uh, I think from a, a, if we look at our full year, Right now, I think we're coming in close on, a, on an EBIT perspective of 116. Uh, we take the 157 base points, I would say, at that back plus 12 million in SG&A. You can get the kind of a normalized rate, and then you take that 100 million in SG&A. Now, our guide on the top line of zero to one percent, we're going to work to manage uh, inflation in our SG&A uh, to get that flow through. So I think that's how we would think of where we got to our guide. Hey, Sammy, just a, a couple of quick points. Up, on the cost, oh, hey, sorry. Hey, screw, yeah, I'll just a second. So the on the cost out, the 150 that cost is out. So yeah, we made the, the tough call and never easy. Uh, some 400 team members not with the company anymore. Uh, so that's in the run. That's not a that's not an ethereal number in terms of how we're, we're thinking about the organization. And then, you know, as you think about, what we need to do, uh, you heard Ryan's points, uh, but in terms of actual physical initiatives on the ground, you're going to see uh, renewed emphasis on the up and down the street pro from our, our organization this year. I think it's an area where we, we had our eye off the ball a little bit, uh, but I also think it's an area where on a relative right to win in terms of the capabilities of the team members you have out in the field and referring to our CAMs, for our outside sales team members and our CPPs who are, who are inside the store pros, that uh, that's an area that they're excited to go after. Thanks for that. And the follow-up is, Shane, I'm you know intrigued by some of the, the things you're addressing and your diagnosis of you know what what has been kind of holding this business back. So you mentioned a bunch of things, systems and supply chain. Curious about your take. If there is an Achilles heel, whether it is supply chain or merchandising or you know process versus infrastructure, if, if you can elaborate a bit on that. So I think some of it goes to, to culture and focus. Uh, and the good news is, as I meet the team members in the field, you know, you see that 90-year heritage. You see uh, uh, men and women who, who sell auto parts who, who want to win. And so we need to unlock that by making sure that what we do as a company, uh, and, and from my time in the service called the Inverted Pyramid, that we are geared not as a headquarters-centric organization, but we're a field-first organization. And if you spend time listening to the customers, uh, they'll give you the feedback on, on what it takes to be successful. If you, if you take time empowering our, our frontline associates, uh, you know, that's that's a key route forward for us. Additionally, um, it's the, the blended box model. 
you know, we've, I think, looked at different paths to heaven as a, as a company in the past and, uh, and didn't put the emphasis, emphasis on the blended box. You can see demonstrably in the industry where the blended box uh, works. It works in terms of the breadth of customers you can serve. It works in terms of, of the flow through you get when you get marginal sales in, in the same location. So, so that's really where we're going as a company uh, in the future. Thanks. Good luck. The next question comes from Greg Millick from Evercore ISI. Greg, your line is open. Hi, thanks, uh, and welcome, guys. Um, I guess my, my first question is I'd just like to clarify a little bit. I know it's a potential sale, but in your guidance this year, how much of the free cash flow sales, et cetera, are coming from WorldPack or the businesses that you're considering sale? Yeah, Greg, this is Ryan. Uh, we're in the guidance. We're not contemplating. We didn't put anything in there for the sale. We, our guide is based on the Romanco or the, the whole company as it is today with Wolfpack in Canada. Yeah, so we'll revisit with you at, at mid-year if that process uh, goes through, and then you'll see the, the, the breakout, the proceeds, the remainder code, and our plan for distribution of proceeds. So, so just be, whatever Wolfpack... I get maybe ask the question a different way. Last year, and was was did the Romanco generate free cash flow, for example? Yep. Uh, we're not going to talk about specific individual business units at this time, but we'll come back and keep to be able to give you more okay. details on the Fair different. Fair enough. We'll update Thanks. it then. I guess, Shane, I wanted to follow up a little bit more on on you know the actions taken. Um, from in terms of stabilizing the business from a profit standpoint, I think you went through. I'd love to hear a little bit more as you toured the country and talked to the front line and the customers. Uh, it sounds like the, the focus here is getting up and down the street, oh, serving them. What is it that they need to get that they're not getting or haven't gotten from Advance the last couple of years? Is it product quality? Is it speed? Is it in stocks? Uh, you know, what what is, what could you narrow that down a little bit more? Yeah, great question. So I'll start with the, the team members. Um, we've got to make sure that our team members feel like they're valued. Uh, and if you looked at, at where we'd invested dollars, it hadn't been on the front line. And so that goes to, to wage rates. That goes to what their bonus programs are. That goes to, to training programs and certifications so that both their capabilities and sense of pride are amplified. So we've got a, a significant body of work underway focused on the front line. And we're seeing reduction in turnover. Uh, so that's been a, been a key piece. Secondarily, uh, as we spent money, and, and, and this goes to the SG&A takeout, we would engage in, in marketing programs that were expensive that didn't bear fruit. And so we're pivoting anything we do around being successful with the customer in the market. As it relates to the customer's feedback, Product availability. So we would we would hear from statured customers who were their first call, and they say, "Hey, hey, Advance, I call you first, but you know you don't have the product, so you are literally driving me to call somebody else." And so we've had a lot of work going on in product availability. Our our uh, in stocks are up over 200 basis points uh, this year. 
we uh, if you look at our aggregate inventory, it's down. And, and Ryan's talked to some of the disposition, but but notably, we've put three hundred million dollars of incremental nutritive inventory that our customers are asking for. We're capturing those demand signals so that we have better in stocks. We want to further that in terms of how we cover on the up and down the street pro with our outside sales team members, and there's a uh, a tremendous amount of work there. Uh, I didn't touch on this in the, in, the, in the script, but within our org structure, our pro efforts were bifurcated in different parts of the company, and now those are solidified. Uh, and and so we go forward as one team as we think about our pro. So it's not if you call the store and you're the same customer, you get a different set of interactions than you might get if you're if you're working with our outside team. So that's going on a on a much more definitive basis. And the last thing I'll touch on on the merchandising side of the house is reaching out to our vendors, both to ensure that from a, a cost position and a product availability and a prioritization for for innovation that that we're uh, uh, um, where we need to be, but but uh, I think important for everybody to know as we as we talk to the vendors that that feedback is also overwhelmingly positive around supporting advance. There's a there's a strong desire to see advance thrive, and you could say, hey, that's you know, the vendors should have that perspective, but but that works for us. The idea that 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 we've got this collective coalition between the vendors, between our engaged frontline. Uh, between customers who want to buy from us, we just need to have our fundamentals right in terms of that product, that price, uh, uh, and the delivery all working uh, together. Got it. And and I think, Ryan, you mentioned as part of the guide you expected a little bit of inflation uh, in the numbers as, as we reinvest in that inventory and get the right stuff there. Is that is that fair, 1% or 2%? Yes, yeah, our inflation rate right now that we're looking at is about a 1% uh, inflation rate that we're seeing and we're expecting. Got it. Thanks, guys, and good luck. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. The next question is from Brett Jordan from Jefferies. Brett, your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. On the supply chain initiative, and obviously that seems to me like it's been going on for a while, that the WMS should be done by the end of this year. At what point do you see actually having the DCs on a single ERP system? And when you use those smaller DCs as a sort of forward inventory, will there be an investment cycle in building more large distribution center infrastructure? Yeah, so great, great question. Thank you, Brent. Uh, on the WMS, we'll be done with that this year. So uh, High Jump is our, our WMS system, so we'll have that in, in all of what will be our replenishment DCs. The, the second part of the journey in terms of creating market hubs, and you see this, this model prevalently elsewhere in the industry, uh, we can use our uh, smaller DCs to, to perform in this fashion. And, and uh We've had a journey in supply chain, but not a definitive one in terms of creating a unified uh, single supply chain. What we had in the past, we, we had cross-banner replenishment, but what we were doing is basically asking 38 DCs to function as full-on replenishment nodes, basically to provide every product to a to a store uh, requiring that product. And some product, some some uh, DCs don't have the size and capability to do that. 
38 is far too many from my past life in terms of where you'd expect your vendors to ship into. So the idea is we create a national network of larger DCs. We're not ready to definitively to, to define that, that exact number, but you can look at other companies and you know sometimes you'll see 8, 10, 12, 14 large DCs to give you that national footprint. And then, uh, and then market hubs, both the conversion of our of these smaller DCs. We'll add additional market hubs beyond that because uh, I think that that flow model works. And so if you take those two together and look at the footprint, there are probably some additional large DC efforts that we need to undertake, and we'll describe that more in terms of you know, here's our exact number, here's where we have them today, here's where we might need a new one. That will all be coming in, in the coming months. But the key for today is that we are putting a flag in the ground to have a unified supply chain, one flow path, one uh, set of systems, uh, and an easier interaction for our, our vendors to work with us. Do you have a feeling, I guess, internally for what your basis point impact has been to run two disparate, you know, pretty inefficient supply chains? Like, what's the incremental cost of running as you have been running, or what might you pick up by consolidating? Yeah. I'll just say it's material, right? So if anybody who's been in in, uh, in logistics, if you're running two supply chains and everybody else or your previous endeavors is one supply chain, it's just uh, – it's just not the path forward to, for us. So as we will explain with you, we think there's there's material monies that come out of the system. And then importantly for our customers, the, the product flows better. The, the availability goes up. And so there's kind of a, a, a one-two combo there uh, that we'll describe more at a later date. Great. Thank you. The next question is from Stephen Forbes at Guggenheim Partners. Stephen, your line is open. Please go ahead. Good morning, Shane Ryan. Sh- Shane, maybe a, a follow-up on the supply chain. You mentioned potentially using the sale proceeds to accelerate the migration to the single unified network. I would be just curious, like, if we can think through the two scenarios here in terms of time frame to, you know, completion of that initiative, right? If, if the asset sale occurs... Is there like a time frame in mind that you have to to reach the goal? And then I guess if the asset sale doesn't occur, you know, sort of what is that change in the the time frame that it would that would that would result in um, you know, maybe a, a difference in sort of the the near term free cash flow proceeds of the business? Yeah, so this is my third time combining supply chains in companies, um, and and we want it to be sooner rather than later, but it's an, it's a multi year endeavor. I think that's that's just the practical reality of, of, of what happens. So can we shave time off? Absolutely. And we will do that with the proceeds. But you know, this isn't something that, that you know this group should expect to be done in, in twenty four. Uh, we'll extend into twenty five and, and probably into into twenty six as we do this. Uh and in particular, you know, there's there's both the existing set of efforts, which is what we'll do with the first thirty eight. Where we have to add net new market hubs, uh, or where if we look at our, our larger DC structure where we need to put in you know large scale new DC, you know, those efforts efforts take time. I think the thing for everybody here to know is that journey is beginning, and and our first market hub uh, conversion is going on, and so and and you know early indications are this is going to be a, a, a really good thing for us. We will move as fast as we can because we know that the end state creates value for the customers and, and improves the profitability of the customer. And so, so 
So more to come, but know that uh, uh, our supply chain team uh, is, is dedicated, they're focused, uh, and they're, they're already Thanks. And, and maybe just a quick follow-up for Ryan. As we think through sort of you know, non-cash and cash uh, impacts on the margin outlook, a- any sort of uh, color around the, the fourth quarter LIFO, uh, either benefit or charge, and, and then sort of what's in, implied uh, within the margin guide for 2024 in terms of LIFO? Yeah, so in, in Q4, we saw $5.2 uh, million of income related to LIFO, um, and we expect it to be moderating in 2024, so moderate uh, expectations in 2024 in our guide. Thank you. The next question comes from Seth Sigmund from Barclays. Seth, your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to follow up on the comps this quarter down 1.4%. I'm just curious, as you started to implement changes, are you seeing a wider dispersion in performance across the store base? You know, I'm sure it's noisy with weather, but anything you can point to and maybe quantify to say that, you know, some of the early initiatives are, are working. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what, as we saw availability improve, we did see improvement in the pro traction. So we're, we're actually seeing good performance in the pro. We're excited about that courage to fire inventory availability. I still see DIY pressured, and so that kind of offsets some of the, uh, the pro performance in that. And that's also kind of what's informed our guide going forward. We expect to see uh, good improvement in the pro as we have improved availability. Uh, we do see DIY pressure going forward. Got it. Okay. And then my follow-up question is just thinking about the gap in profitability versus some of your peers and what I guess you'll ultimately guide us to at some point. How much of the issue slash opportunity is, is just four-wall profitability that's sales-driven, it's volume-driven, versus how much of that profit gap is maybe inefficiency outside of the stores? And it may be both, but I'm curious how you think about that um, as we contemplate the roadmap from here. Thank you. Yes, good question. It is a little bit of both. So some of it is we talked about supply chain conversion. That obviously will generate some some benefit for us and, and help close that gap as well. There's also a mix factor as far as the type of the product and our mix being heavier prone than, than DIY, and that margin mix has a little bit of an impact as well. And yes, there's also other areas where we, we need to focus on for merch excellence. Uh, Shane talked about improving line reviews, et cetera. So there's some areas there. Uh, we're not going to go to specifics around decomping all of that, but obviously there is some work and opportunity to close that gap. But I think the biggest one is that mixed impact will keep us from closing completely. Uh, but we do have opportunity, and that's why we're focused on uh, the big one here is just supply chain conversion. Yeah, uh, Brian, Brian's exactly right. Uh, and, and one way to illustrate and why we're focused on the blended box, if you look at revenue per store and you think about us as a – kind of a 1718. And you can look at other folks who have, have higher numbers. When you add revenue to a store, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, that money drops to the bottom line at an incrementally larger level, right? So, so you, cause you, you get your fixed cost covered. So that's a key for us. So, so I, I think your question is a good one, Seth, that you need to do both. Uh, and as we do both, uh, we see the path forward to continued success. And, and know that, 
as we look at, at where advance is, uh, we don't we don't sit and say, hey, uh, let's let's benchmark off the other guys. Our our goal as an organization is to be incrementally better, to be incre- incrementally better every day. Take care of our customers, look after our team members, and and I've seen this movie before in in other industries. In fact, in my last organization, and 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 that's a recipe for success. And and you'll. Look for look for that from us, and then look for us later this year to provide a perspective on what that might look like after a couple of years. Okay, great. Thank you both, and uh, good luck. The next question comes from Chris Potiglieri from B&B Paribus. Chris, your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking the question. Um, sorry if I'm thick-headed. I'm not used to seeing some of these inventory adjustments. just wanted to... I'm not sure I fully understood Chris Horber's question. Is it likely that these inventory write-downs and changes in estimates will be reversed in subsequent period when you sell it, or is that not possible, like are these permanent changes? Uh, yeah, no, uh, I don't anticipate uh, reversing it. This was uh, making changes to estimates and vendor uh, receivables that uh, went through that process. I, don't, I wouldn't expect that these would reverse at any point in time. Yes, okay. And then um, next question is just um, was hoping you could talk more about the, um, you know, the independent businesses that you've invested. It looks, looks like you take up the first hundred. Is this like an immediate margin saving because you, you're actually losing money to these customers or is this, does this enable you to actually shut down some of these CarQuest TCs um, because you wouldn't need them anymore if you stopped serving this? Yeah. So, so I'll start, Chris, and and Ryan can. Yep. No, thanks, Chris. I'll start, and Ryan can can jump in. Um, you know, the independents are an important part of the business, right? They could they could serve geographies we can't get to. Uh, they could serve end markets where their their depth of capability uh, exceeds ours. So so this isn't a play around exiting the the independent arena. This is one where. At times, we were exuberant in terms of adding independence, and as we looked at the, the sort of balance of trade, if you will, in terms of, of the benefit to each party, it wasn't working for us. In some cases, it wasn't working for the independent either. And so uh, we looked at the, the aggregate number, and there are about 100 folks that at the end of the day, it didn't make sense for us to continue that relationship. Um, and as we did that, um, uh, it's a good move for us, Frank, to talk about the, the impact. But it's also been re- received well in the independent network. The, 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 the independents who are good at what they do, and they, by the way, they exhibit a lot of pride in their, in their business. They don't want folks representing the, the CarQuest name and, and doing it in a manner inconsistent with what, what our customers would expect. So uh, it's, been, it's been a well-received adjustment, and we're happy with the independents that we have. Yeah, Chris, I'll just add that, you know, well, we're, we'll lose some sales on that, but we're actually going to gain on the bottom line and operating profitability roughly 3 to $4 million. So it's, it's definitely a net positive for us. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. The next question comes from Seth Basham from Wedbush. Seth, your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks a lot, and good morning. Uh, my question is around the balance sheet and leverage going forward. How do you expect that to play out over the next few quarters, uh, including post-sale of CarQuest, and any implications for the vendor inventory financing program? 
Yes, good question. Uh, so, as we said with the sale, and Shane talked about it, if we do get the proceeds of sale, one of the first things we'll do is work to deleverage our balance sheet um, with, with some of those proceeds. That's one thing we'll look at immediately. But going forward, I think the, the business is generating good cash flow, and as part of that cash flow, we'll continue to work to deliver the balance sheet. We're going to first invest in the business, but also get that leverage target into a better place. Okay, that's helpful. As we look beyond 24, obviously early, but with the supply chain transformation, should we expect CapEx to rise uh, from the 24 guy? No, the, the CapEx guide uh, that we put out contemplates action we're taking that supply chain conversion. We're going to be much more focused on our capital uh, expenditures and making sure we're investing in the right things that drive our business, and then we focus on these decisive actions. So uh, as we said earlier, the capital is really focused on IP and supply chain right now. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, ju I'll just jump in there. If the supply chain transformation is a is a is a big one, uh, I think Ryan's got our guide exactly where where it should be for for 24. We could raise it in 25, uh, and we'll you know uh, either through the through proceeds from, from WorldPack, or just as the business performs better and, and we're able to, to deploy more. Again, back to the, the previous questions, if we can accelerate or wherever we can accelerate the supply chain consolidation, we'll do it. Next question comes from Michael Baker from DA Davidson. Michael, your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, okay, great. Uh, I just want to follow up on the uh, the 38 um distribution centers that you've talked about. Any, uh, I'm looking in the Ks and, and past uh, annual reports and everything, uh, and I can't find a breakdown. I know in the past you used to talk about PDQs, which are the smaller DCs, but can you just tell us, of these 38 DCs, how many do you consider bigger? What are, what, what to you is a bigger DC? Uh, how many are smaller? Uh, just trying to get a sense of, you know, what, what you're going to go forward with in terms of your big DCs and, and what may need to be added to that. Thanks. Yeah, so with the 38, I know it's hard to bridge 38. 38 is uh, the advanced and CarQuest DC network. Uh, so I think in total, we're about 50, which would include the World Pack as well. So that's when we talk about 38, we're specifically talking about the um, advanced and CarQuest uh, DC network. So we'll, we'll give you, uh, in the coming months, a complete breakout of all the facilities. I'm, I'm a little reticent to, to, to be more specific. Obviously, we've got team members in these DCs, and if their DC is going to be converted into a market hub, you know, as we go through that plan, we, we want to make sure we're, we're staying abreast of, of keeping them in the loop. So we'll break out the, the differences. In general, the smaller DCs uh, that are more uh, that are appropriate for the market hub conversion came from CarQuest. The larger DCs from the from the advanced model. And there's a substantial size footprint difference. Uh, we largely think we have the large DC network that we need. Uh, again, we may refine that a little bit uh, in terms of of what that national footprint might look like. So you had said to a previous question earlier that you know, eight, based on the other guys, somewhere between eight to ten to twelve to fourteen is the right number of large DCs. And you're saying that you think you have those already from the uh, advanced, the old advanced network, give or take, you know, a couple. I just want to clarify that. Yeah, Michael, good job. You're good job threading threading some questions and answers together. Eight to twelve, ten, fourteen. That 
that's that's my experience in a past life, right? If if, if we hired some of the firms that that do the work on on setting up national infrastructures, and you say, hey, I want to have a nationwide distribution network, that's what they're going to tell you, and that's what I've seen, and that's what I've lived, and so uh, um, you know, I think that's a, an appropriate range. Uh, for us, and and yes, we largely think we've got the facilities for that. Thank you. Great. I think the key right. awesome. is we're leveraging our current assets, right? We're leveraging our current assets that we have. We think we have the assets to to create the network that we need. Yeah, if we came to you and said, hey, we got to put ten new, you know, five hundred to a million square foot DCs up in the United States. You guys can do the math on on what those buildings cost and how long that takes. We're trying to to do this both more quickly and then and efficiently using the facilities we have. And, and a national model might come out and say, gosh, the DC you have, you know, might be marginally better if it was located an hour this way or that way. You know, that's that's a little bit of the trade-offs we'll make, which is you know minor in terms of the efficiency drag. But in exchange for the speed and the overall cost effectiveness, that's the right way to go. Yeah. This is, that makes sense. Uh, one other, just from the beginning of the call, if I could clarify, you talked about uh, you found another $50 million uh, from, from, to, to give to frontline employees from from sunsetting uh, things. What is that? And I guess on a year-over-year -year yeah. basis, is that an incremental $50 million investment, or is that netted somewhere? Yeah, so make the, the math easy. The 150 is out. We took out 150 And then we said, hey, uh, we're going to take 50 of that, and it goes in the front line for wages, bonuses, and training. There's an incremental amount, roughly double that, that comes from some of it's our ordinary course, so we've got we've got our merit plan for the year, but some of it comes from sunsetting. We had some HR programs out there that, uh, that we spent money on that weren't directed towards the front line. So we canceled those programs, and we're putting those dollars into wages, bonuses, and training. So it's, it's no net... Uh, uh, it's no incremental drag to the company. It's a better use of funds that we weren't putting in the right place. The next question comes from Brian Nagel from Oppenheimer. Brian, your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. So uh, a couple questions, I guess basically both maybe philosophical in nature, but um, first off, not, maybe not totally fair, but Shane, you know, so for those of us who've followed Advance for a while, you know, I think we've heard, you know, we've, we've discussed in the past with prior management teams, you know, supply chain fixes. So I guess you know, we're talking a lot about that here as a key component of your, your view of the, of the business. What's different? I mean, as you look at, as you look at the, what you plan to do here for the business from the supply chain perspective and evaluating what, you know, has been done in the past, what, what's the, what are the, really the key differences here? And then my second question, you have a lot going on here in the near term, how do you balance or how do you think about market share? You know, because you have a very fragmented sector, but within that sector, you've got a, really, a couple of really strong competitors. So how do you think about maintaining market share amid all these nearer-term type uh, uh, efforts within the business? Uh, we'll start with the second question on market share. You know, there's lots of good companies. There's lots of people that we compete with every day. That you might have some notable examples, but there, there are plenty of smaller Companies out there who sell auto parts, so so we know that we've got to earn our, our keep every day. We've put out our guide. Uh, we think that's modest. 
uh, and we know that our engine, as we restart it with this turnaround, will will take a minute to get a, a full head of steam. But the industry fundamentals are very good. This is a disciplined industry. By the way, it's an industry that even with the the big players, there's still room and runway to grow. By the way, there's just growth that occurs uh, uh, naturally. And so um, we won't be a share taker, but our first step is to be a shareholder. And I mean that in terms of market share. So so that's what we're we're looking to do. Uh, And we don't spend the day thinking, hey, what are the other guys doing? We think about listening to our customer, and when they tell us, hey, if you have this part, and by the way, if your pricing is this versus that, or if you can get it to me in this time frame, or if you know, I feel good about the relationship, we, we get the order. So those are, you know, those are the things we focus on. That's what we can control, and that's what gets us a sale. If we do that right and repetitively, repetitively over time, then the share uh, losses stemmed, and we we start that that road back to to holding and then gaining share. Now that's the first part. Uh, and then remind me again on the supply chain, Brian. Yeah, just real simply, what's different with your plan versus what may have been tried in the past or attempted in the past to, to rationalize the supply chain in advance? We didn't do it. I think that's the key thing, and and we didn't we didn't uh, you know, if you look at 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 retail distribution models on what it takes to be successful, that wasn't the path we were following, right? We we did we did a, a cross banner replenishment model, but we never set out, and and we should have, right? If you think about when when we did the GPI acquisition, uh, uh, anytime you put two companies together, the first thing you got to think about is. What are you going to do with the logistics infrastructure? And so we let two different models exist for a long time uh, and then had sort of a patch solution. And what we're telling the market today is the right answer for auto parts distribution is to have one single national network. And that's what we're doing. And so you won't be able to identify facilities in terms of that's a blue versus a red E.G. CarQuest versus Advance. We're Advanced Auto Parts, and we will have a national distribution network. The second thing is the idea of using this market hub, uh, and I think you know you see that prevalently. It's a, I think it's a, a, a good way to get product closer to the customer, more SKUs closer to the customer to be more responsive. And I, I think that's a function. That's a bit of an evolution. I think the customer's expectations have increased in terms of you know, what can you get me. In, in a short time frame. We want to be participative in that, and that market hub makes that happen. Got it. I appreciate all the color. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. The next question is from Scott Ciccarelli from Truist. Scott, your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for fitting me in, guys. Um, so you, you talked about 400 teammates that are now gone, but can you provide more color on where you're able to take out $150 million of expenses from your cost structure? It's a pretty big number in a short period of time. And related to that, have you factored in some sort of negative impact on sales? Like, in theory, the the people there were doing at least something semi-productive. So the the cost takeout was broad-based, so no functional area was exempt. And if I go back to an earlier comment, 
I think we had a, a bit of a headquarters-centric approach to running the business. And, and with that, uh, you end up with bloat in your, in your corporate infrastructure. I, I believe in the inverted pyramid, the idea that we need to be field first, and corporate needs to be lean. Corporate needs to be, you know, everybody who sits in a corporate seat needs to be supporting the field. And so uh, we went across the functional areas. I think notably uh, marketing was an area where there were uh, more significant cuts than in the other areas because we invested in marketing programs that, that didn't have a yield. Uh, and so we view that cost takeout not only as necessary, but um, but one that didn't uh, dampen our sales. If anything, I think we've got the opposite going out, was we've cleared out some bureaucracy, we've looked at processes that were inefficient, and we're empowering the front line. And, and as we take dollars and put it in the front line and reduce turnover and, and create energy, those team members feel like they're heard and supported in a way that, uh, that wasn't occurring. Okay, um, so you don't think you'll lose any sales on the reduction in marketing. Can, uh, what, one other question. Um, are there more restatements to historical results and anything on 23 we should be thoughtful of before some of the, the new team uh, on the finance side came in? Are you saying more than what actually is being reported today? Correct. Yeah, no, I think what we're talking about today is uh, what we've shared today are uh, the restatements that uh, that we plan to see when in the Form 10K. We'll have the Form 10K out in, in short order. It should be within that extension period of time. Got it. Okay. So no more restatements to historical yeah. results. Okay. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Our next question comes from Max Raklenko from Cowan. Max, your line is open. Please go ahead. Great, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, so first, how far away are your in-stocks from where they need to be or where you want them to be? I think you mentioned uh, they've improved by 200 basis points. So uh, how much room I had, and then just how we should think about that timing. Hey, hey Max, we didn't get the question. Can you say it one more time, please? Oh, sorry, just uh, how far away are your in-stocks from where they need to be? I think you mentioned uh, 200 basis point improvement. So uh, how much further yeah. do you have to go? And then just how should we think about the timing? Yeah, so we're, we're doing that real time. And as we complete this, uh, our inventory system that comes online, it will get better uh, from where it sits today. We don't want to put a definitive number on it. But that journey continues. We do get customer feedback that says, hey, I feel better about your product availability. We get feedback from our work from as well. But uh, I don't want to put a, a, a pinpoint, but more to come. Uh, but, but material progress that has been noted by, by customer and field team members. Yeah, other than that, I think broad-based improvement, absolutely. Broad-based improvement, but... There's still work to do geographically. You think 38 different distribution centers, some are smaller, just the ability to allocate the work. That's the work that we're doing with the new system, being able to get there. So there's still work to do, but broadly significant improvement. Okay. And then how are you thinking about pricing on the DIFM side and whether you are where you need to be in order to be competitive? And then just latest thinking around uh, private label versus national brands. Uh, following some of the conversations that you've been having with the pros. 
So I'll start with private label. Um, we think private label is an important dimension of the business, and we've got some great uh, uh, brands that, that we control. Die Hard, I think, is, is the premier name. Uh, the CarQuest name, and think about CarQuest as it relates to our, our Platinum uh, Brakes product. So we've seen, we've seen growth in private brands, and we want private brands to be an important part of the portfolio. Uh, I think something we've done is, you know, in the past, sometimes our exuberance as it relates to who we work with, we may have had uh, suppliers uh, not in a position to, to fully represent what our needs are. We've come through those issues, and our, and our, our merchant and sourcing teams are making sure that, that we're not only getting high-quality products, but we're getting it in the quantities that we need. On the, on the pricing front, uh, a couple of things here. Uh, one, this is a, a, a disciplined industry, and I think that's important, the conduct between the, the players in terms of, of, of how they act with customers. I would describe as rational. Uh, but customer feedback is, a, is an important dimension. I would say we need to be in the zip code of, of, uh, of, of the customer's needs on price, but, but availability is important, as is speed to service. And that's something that, that we're focused on. We know that if you've got a, if you're a pro and you've got a car on a lift, you've got a Chevy Tahoe that, that needs brake rotors, we've got to get them to you, uh, expeditiously. So we're focused on that speed of service, which is something we measure. Uh, but as it relates to price, uh, we'll be where the, where the, where the market, uh, sort of demands. Got it. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you all. That is our last question for today. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to sharing more progress on our decisive actions that we covered today when we speak with you again in May. Have a great day. This concludes today's call. Thank you very much for your attendance. You may now disconnect your